When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Promised Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by Rob Blanchett, fresh off the news. Big news. Richard Arnold is officially leaving Manchester United. That broke earlier this week. I believe it was Wednesday, Rob, was it? We're recording this on Friday. As we like to do, digest the news a little bit, see the lay of the land. Uh, But this one is or was expected and is it is it a surprise to you Robert it's happened so swiftly no not at all like again I think on the last show we hinted at it and we were like oh well we don't really want to talk about it just yet like let's wait for the club to announce something because we know it's coming in the days ahead so that announcement came and obviously then the the Manchester United universe exploded and everyone was very interested in it Am I surprised that Richard Arnold won't be part of Manchester United 2.0 with Sir Jim Ratcliffe running the football operation? Absolutely not. I think I said a few weeks ago as well to you, Scott, on on our show, that as far as I'm concerned, Richard Arnold failed. He had a good opportunity after Ed Woodward, after his mate left the football club. He could have changed some things. He did bring in Eric Ten Hag, so congratulations to him on that. But what did we see, Scott? More of the same Manchester United glazer gumpf. So um, quite happy he's gone. Quite happy he will be leaving the, the football club. Nothing personal against Richard Arnold, but I don't think he is the chief executive to take you forward. Well, we'll talk maybe a little bit today on a potential new chief executive that could come in. But I think with Jean-Claude Blanc, we will do a more in-depth show maybe later down the line. We'll mention him today. We'll talk about the potential sporting directors that could come in as well, because John Murt is still there, but for how long? Just about. That's the question. Uh, obviously, we have not had an official announcement yet around the uh, ownership uh, structure or anything changing, but we have had the Arnold news. Uh, Patrick Stewart uh, is <laughs> is taking the interim role and Yep, Rob, what are you doing for the audio benefit? That, that is some Star Trek thing, which I learned when I was about eight years old. So, Patrick, are you a, are you a Star Trek fan? Not at all. Not really. Not at all. Not I just thought when you when everyone says Patrick Stewart, what can you think about? Well, Star Trek. That's basically, isn't it? So uh, he's going to get a lot of that, I think, on social. He's actually been at United since like two thousand six, I think. Long time, yeah. Long, he, he, long time. It's interesting they chose him as the interim because I think. That this process will carry on, and like you just said there about hearing stuff, Scott. Um, I still think we're kind of six to eight weeks off the big announcement because structurally 
there's still a ton of work to do behind the scenes. So I don't think anyone should be worried about that. But I think, yes, Pat Captain Patrick Stewart or whatever you want to call him from Star Trek will be uh, directing the ship for the time being. How long do you expect... How long do you think it'll take for the structure in its full form to be revealed? Because uh, obviously, I haven't even done the plugs for the show yet, but we're, we're going in conversation. How long do you think that'll take? Because I think it's good to... I know the January transfer window is approaching this kind of thing. Yeah. How do you feel about potentially them dipping into that market straight away? Or do you think they would wait for the structures to get in place first? Do you think that could be in place in January in time? Or do you think this is going to be more, let's get through to the end of the season and make the, uh, do the analysis and make the changes a little bit more slowly? I think, personally, Ineos have been making quite a lot of decisions behind the scenes Probably, al yes. already for quite yeah. a long time. So the rush to maybe make a public announcement doesn't really exist because, as far as they're concerned, and again, I think I said this to you off camera before, Scott, I don't think that Jim Radcliffe will will play the kind of PR game that maybe other potential new owners would have done. Like it's There's a glamour there, but there's also a realisation that this is going to all cost a lot of money a lot of realisation in terms of your structure and things have got to change. So Man United in the last <laughs> kind of what, two, three, four, five, six months have become like statement FC, haven't they? Like brand new statement about something shocking every other week. And you've got to kind of get away from that. I don't think that Ratcliffe will be massively like pushed to, to put anything out there publicly I think it's got about six weeks. I think what is the process of where we stand today? Six to eight weeks. Will that stop Man United being active in the transfer market in January? Absolutely not. They're already doing all of that. That is already being spoken about. They're already pushing those sides forward. That's how the football business works. So I know fans will wait for that. And I've said as well, you know, we want to hear that first bit of chunky detail because then we can scrutinise Ratcliffe and we can scrutinise what he really wants to do. Until then, Scott, it's kind of just newspaper fish and chip fodder, isn't it? As I call it, you know, you're trying to we hear bits, and we're trying to work out which bits do they are still real do and which that. Isn't. Do they still do fish and chips in newspapers? I, I think the EU got rid of that because it's not actually very clean, is it? It's a bit dirty. Yeah, it's, so a bit, that, it's a little bit weird. So yeah. I think the EU brought plenty of good things to our country, and one of them was don't use fish and chip paper because it's full of ink. So we were, do you imagine how many years people were just eating ink out of their fish and chips, Scott? Well, that, that was like when, when I had fish and chips when I was a kid. That was, I firmly like remember that. Not that I, I, I tend not to go to it anymore, fish and chips, unfortunately. But um, You ate your fish and chips out of a tabloid. Like, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Weird. But it is weird, but that's what, like, in the 80s, there was like, you know, did, did other paper not exist? Like, I think it was just a cheap way for businesses to be able to wrap up your food. And then what did you do? You unwrapped it, ate it, and threw it in the bin. But we digress. <laughs> like, you know. We do digress, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it, it is basically, there's a, there's a lot of, a lot of hot air out there, but I do think that there is, there's also, we're hearing some good stuff and we'll try and reveal as much as we can do on our show in the next few weeks, because I think we also have to be very careful that we are completely down the party line. That I, It's not about whether we support Ratcliffe or not. We want change at Manchester United and I think change is coming. I think that's the important thing to, uh, to get across. Um, and we'll dig into that, like, like Rob says, uh, over the next few shows. Hmm. Maybe even today, you mentioned PR lines. We'll hmm. talk today about Alex Ferguson, or Sir Alex Ferguson, 
Yes. Uh, and there was some suggestions on Thursday night that Sir Jim Ratcliffe will lean on his advice uh, during his remodeling of United. Mm. But um, that we'll talk about that on the show today. We'll talk a little bit more about Arnold. We'll talk some potential names in the running for sporting director and a bunch of other stuff as well. But um, we'll go more in depth on the likes of Jean-Claude Blanc in the next few weeks. I think yeah. it does look like he's going to be the new CEO. Uh, and I think you can wait for our show if you want, or you can find it elsewhere. But he has a pretty interesting backstory in football as well. Remarkably. Football guy. Football. I wouldn't even call him a football guy necessarily, but he, he has worked at football clubs before. Yes. But anyway, um, subscribe to our show. It took me seven minutes, 40 seconds. Uh, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch us on YouTube, The Promised Land, a Manchester United podcast. Like the video, leave a comment, subscribe, and hit the notification bell on YouTube as well. Follow us on social media, at double underscore Scott Saunders on X, Instagram, and TikTok, if I ever post. Uh, at underscore Rob underscore B on X and YouTube and at Promise and MU on X as well. And keep your, um, you, you can tell, you can say whatever you want. Give us your feedback. We do get a lot of lovely comments from you um, and we really, really do appreciate them. I, I personally do. And I'm sure Rob, I'm speaking Definitely. for you here, but I know you do as well. Hmm. Uh, even let us know things that you'd like us to discuss this, this kind of thing. And yeah, we really appreciate it. So keep those coming in, but, we will talk. Let, let's let's start at Richard Arnold, Rob, because that happened on Wednesday. What do you how What do you make of that? Because it's Richard Arnold has decided to leave. Um, is that leave before you're pushed, or do you think this was the right time, or do you think it's more of a business transaction thing? I think it's a bit of both. So again, I think. One of the things that we heard and we knew for a long time was that Richard Arnold favoured the Qatar bid. And the reason why he favoured the Qatar bid was that he was going to probably be involved at some level. That was kind of that was kind of the, the way, the vision. I'm not saying he would have stayed in his same role. The problem with the Sir Jim Ratcliffe bid for Richard Arnold was that we know that part of that structure is to gut the football department and gut the very top level, which, who does it start with, Scott? You know what I mean? Starts with Richard Arnold, doesn't it? So Richard Arnold also owns uh, a ton of Class A shares at Manchester United. They are the smaller, weaker shares. Um, and I think he was kind of put in a position here where he either stays and tries to fight for his job, a job that he knows he can't keep because Ineos have already got plans for those roles, or he can cash in. So I think that's kind of where we were. So again, a few weeks ago, I said that I think that my personal opinion is that Richard Arnold's failed and that it's that the first step is removing him and guess what the first step was removing him so it all can be a cuddle scott like you know big hug and a cuddle thanks richard you know thanks for everything you've done for us cheers bye bye go happy with your life in barbados or wherever you're going to go with your money that's cool that's the way it should be that's good business and then you just get on with the job and that will obviously be bringing in blanc bringing in uh, Paul Mitchell and re restructuring everything. And of course, as you said, the big news yesterday really was that, that Sir Alex will have some involvement in the capacity of restructuring behind the scenes at Manchester United. I think that's interesting. How do you reflect on uh, Arnold's time? Because he, 
How long was he there? A couple of years, maybe a little bit more. Mm. It was essentially like disastrous, really. When you think of everything that he, he's kind of had to deal with, and he's not been dealt an easy hand, I, I'll say that, absolutely. Mm. But there's there's some some things have definitely been fumbled, haven't they? Yeah, if I was a schoolmaster and this was Manchester United school, I think I would give Richard Arnold's exam result a D minus, something like that. Um, I think with Ed Woodward, when you go back to that, Scott, and his vision for Galacticos, was that the one thing Ed Woodward did really well was kind of swell the coffers at United with the sponsorship stuff. That's what he was good at. In a, in a way, Richard Arnold was that guy as well, but Richard Arnold had these ambitions to be the football guy as well and fix all the football stuff, which he should be. Like at his position, you should have some football acumen, shouldn't you? But I think the truth is, is that Manchester United, especially I would say... I don't know, from the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer period through to now, has been a relatively rudderless ship. Like there's been, the, the, the Glazers have gone further back into their little man caves in uh, in Florida and kind of tried to, they, they said they wanted to be more involved when they when the European Super League fell apart and then didn't get involved at all, just disappeared. And they left it to Richard Arnold to manage things because he is a Glazer guy. And I, I say D minus because you got to remember in that time, Scott, he hired Eric Ten Hag. That's a positive. Manchester United won a trophy. Not for everyone, the Ten Hag thing. Not for everyone, but I think the wider, moderate Manchester United community, I think, do believe that. I believe that. You believe that. Um, so he hired Eric Ten Hag, got Champions League football last year, won a trophy. This has all happened in the last 12 months. But when you go further back and you look at the last 12 months, you also had the Mason Greenwood blow up which went on for weeks and weeks and weeks and just occupied yours and mine mind way too much, didn't it? Like we had to work around that. It was horrible and horrible for all the fans as well. So I think when you look at the leadership of Arnold and you go through two, three, four, five years ago or back to, he was at the football club before then, obviously in a different role, is that he was kind of groomed for this position and he's not shown anything to me to prove that he was worth it. Not at all. And and I think his his tenure in charge has just been a bit faux. There's been there's nothing that I look at. Like he leaves, and I don't think for one second, oh man, United are gonna be weaker in this department because there's no Richard Arnold. When Ed Woodward went, there was that. Ed Woodward was good at the commercial side of the business and obviously decided, well, he had to go, obviously after the European Super League mess. And that kind of very quickly decided he he was gonna go. And it's kind of the same here, isn't it, with with uh, Ratcliffe. Ratcliffe's coming in. Richard Arnold knew his card was marked, probably say about six as months ago. As soon as ago. he shook Jim Ratcliffe's hand outside Old Trafford, I think he might have known. Yeah, I think there was a P45 in that shake. I've seen that shake mm. so many times outside Old Trafford at PR stunt, obviously outside the building. Um, but yeah, there was like that moment wasn't a, a welcome into our football club. This was almost like, I'm selling you this house. I'll give you the tour <laughs> type thing. Uh, but yeah, at the end of the Richard Arnold era and hopefully the start of a really good new one. Just uh, one more moment to reflect. Obviously, David Gill and Alex Ferguson left in 2013. Yeah. And since then, Man United's sporting operation has been in the hands of two people who graduated from Bristol Uni and worked for PricewaterhouseCoopers, PwC. Okay. Yep. That's that scream truth. football to you? No, no. Like I, I would say that, that, that you know, if you want someone to fix your car, you don't hire a plumber. 
So, you know, it's just what it is. You go get a mechanic. So I think the thing is with, with that, with those two guys, is that for themselves, they've done quite well, Scott. Like, they're both rich individuals, Woodward and, and Arnold, and their mates, and, you know, they, they kind of manage things behind the scenes like that. Do they should they make football decisions for a football club? Absolutely not. You need a good structure, Scott, and it starts at the very, very top. I think that's why Man United have suffered so badly in the last decade. I think you can read a piece which will be coming out later today on uh, Nighty Min's take on the what will happen structurally. Uh, because yeah. Jean Claude Blanc, as we mentioned, uh, Paul Mitchell, as we mentioned, there's a bunch of people in the running for the sporting director job. Dougie mm. Friedman is uh, is yep. among the names. Lee Congerton, Paolo Maldini. Yeah, that's um, an interesting one. In, in some interesting names, but I feel like uh, it's it's not a one horse race. I wouldn't quite say that, but I think we we have an obvious front runner, yeah. and uh, that'll be explained. So check that out. I'll, I'm sure I'll tweet it out later today. But um, yeah. So one of the things that Rob Ratcliffe is going to look to do. And they've never made a real secret of this, although it has gone, uh, it's gone round on Twitter in the last twenty-four hours or so. Is Ratcliffe leaning on the advice of Alex Ferguson? Mm. As so, like, let me ask you, what did you make of that? Um, because obviously, it's been met with some fans saying, "Oh my God, we need to move out of the past." This kind of thing, but. Mm. How how deep an involvement do you think he's going to have? Because to me, and again, this will be in the piece. I, like, I don't it's going to be consultancy, but you know, it's not a job. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, it it was one of the very first earliest bits of information we heard when when all the bidding was going in, and there was like several people in, interested in buying Manchester United. Part of the Ratcliffe and Ineos side of it was that they wanted to tap into. Not the the kind of historical elements of the football club, but they wanted to look at what worked in the past and was it relevant today. And Sir Alex's name was mentioned in those very, 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 very first conversations and conversations that I had with people. So I wasn't surprised that that was kind of breaking news as of yesterday. But I also do understand, Scott, how it divides United fans because there's actually now a ton of United fans, Scott, that actually never saw a Sir Alex Ferguson team play. Not really. Like there's there's a ton. Like we we feel it's recent because we're getting our wooden getting on. But it is part of our history. It wasn't recent. <laughs> it wasn't recent, was it? Like I've aged we, twenty years in the last ten. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but that's life, isn't it? So I think the thing is with the Sir Alex side of it is the real question really is 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 it good or is it bad? And I think that again the moderate said in me says it's it's kind of somewhere in the middle, isn't it? Is that if you are Jim Ratcliffe, and you're trying to re-establish something that was there 15, 20 years ago, you've got to look at the infrastructure and say, why did it work? And you just mentioned David Gill, and that's a name that doesn't get mentioned people nearly don't, enough. People don't understand the significance of David uh, Gill. And people don't I've, also don't know him. anyway. Yeah. yeah, like when David Gill came to the club and took over that role, and I remember at the time there was a lot of conjecture because it was like, well, will Gill work with Fergie well? Like Gill had worked his way through United a little bit like yeah. Richard Arnold, but in a different capacity, of course. I think David Gill's a former professional footballer as well. I think he did play football at a certain level. Or his son. Amateur I level. his son played for United as well. Yeah, so I, so the thing is, he, he, he had good, decent football acumen from the very start. 
And you also got to understand around that period, you had these double acts of managers and chief execs, didn't you? Of like David Dean and Arsene Wenger. So they were kind of, you know, leaning on each other. And Man United did that with Fergie and with David Gill. A lot of people will say that the moment David Gill left Man United, which was when Fergie left, that was the real problem for Man United, is that you lost all your infrastructure in one day, not just your manager, but you lost the guy that kind of conducts the band behind the scenes, makes things happen. So I think the United needs to kind of get back to that and end up having more of a committee approach to running the football club. It's not just about Ten Hag. It cannot be just about Ten Hag. It can't just be about Blanc. It can't just be about Ratcliffe. It can't just be about Mitchell. It has to be about your offer. How do you make your football club run? And I think if Fergie being a consultant to kind of say, well, do you know what? This is what we did back in the day. And some of it's not applicable now. But you know what? Managing people is applicable. And having a habit of success is, is applicable, definitely. How can you maybe reboot those into the modern day with modern practices? One thing I'll say about Fergie, Scott, it's really important, is that Fergie was brilliant at understanding that he didn't know everything. He was the best yeah, at that. Yeah, absolutely. He, yeah. Always, so he went, I know this much, but I understand that, I have to, that we have to do this much, and this means I have to empower other people to do it. My God, we need a bit of that. That's what we need at Man United. We need multiple people that know what they're doing. It's what Ralph Ranick said as well. Ralph Ranick, Ranick, we talked about open heart surgery, wasn't just talking about the playing squad, even though that's what he was referring to. He was talking about infrastructure. That's how you build. And Manchester United have been a, a kind of kind of one-man band under the glazers for a long time. One-trick pony, isn't it? Like, spend some money on transfers, then don't. Get top four, then don't. And it's just gone round in circles for 10 years. We need to get away from that. So that's what I'm hoping for with Ratcliffe, is that he he talks to the right people and empowers the right people. And I think Ratcliffe thinks like that as well, Scott. I think that's what we hear he, within the OS and with obviously his other projects, is that he's a committee guy. He doesn't want to just tell everyone what to do. He wants the best people in the best roles. Just going back to Ferguson, allow mm. me to be somebody in the replies to one of your tweets. But Ferguson oh, picked Moyes. He's, his judgment is clouded. He picked Moyes. He did. He, we need to move forward. He handpicked Moyes. And you know what? The Glazers and Ed Woodward, who came in at that time, had anything down below, they'd have gone, no, we don't like that pick. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> like, we want you to help us, but we don't want you to pick him. And I think maybe Fergie got got kind of blamed for it because obviously David Moyes is Scottish. There was this succession plan. Do you remember the story, Scott, at the time that was told by David Moyes where he got a phone call from Fergie and Fergie was like, lad, turn up at my house tomorrow. Got something to talk to you about. And he was like, oh, a bit worried about this. What is this? Because obviously Fergie hadn't announced he was going. And he was like, lad, you're the new manager of Manchester United. And David Moyes was like, oh, <laughs> Like it sounds stupid now, but that's how it was sold to the world. So um, yeah, it was a bad decision that and and Fergie doesn't get everything right. Like I said, he knows this much and you need to know this much, but that means multiple people. There's no one in any one football club that does everything, Scott. Doesn't work like that. There's no ma one manager now. Guardiola, guess what? He coaches players and, and helps with the recruitment. That's all he does. Do you know, on, on that, Jeremy Doku, I know he didn't play that well against yes. Chelsea, right? Pep said, I'm I'm uh, I'm quoting him not literally here. He said, 
that his football committee brought him Doku and he wasn't sure. Yeah. He didn't really know. And they said, look, take this kid because we think he works. And yeah. now, what do you know? <laughs> He's got you started coaching him. And there you go. City have probably saved a hell of a lot of money. Not every single player that every single big club signs has to cost 80 million quid. And I think that's that's a massive uh, area where United have fallen down over the years. You know, you could pick up first team players who can develop into, you know, world style. Where, where, where's that nowadays? That's what United used to do. You know? Totally. Do you, look, if we'd bought uh, Doku, the whole world would have burned to the ground. People would have been like, what is this signing? Oh, my God. <laughs> so I think at Man City, like, this is the thing. And, and I think Guardiola is quite honest about those things because you think about he lost Mares, right, as a player who'd been ultra-reliable for so long. Goals, assists, all from the bench, not really moaning at all. And yet you bring in, like, Doku, who's a, who's a development project, but also a very good player already, and you're going to build him into your squad. There's no way that... <laughs> that Pep Guardiola, if he had the checkbook, would have written one hundred million pounds for Jack Grealish. He just wouldn't have done it. He just he would not have he would not have ratified that. But the point is, is that if you're building a squad, you need multiple minds coming together. That's really why Man City have been so successful behind the scenes. Is that Guardiola is the cherry on the cake, but the cake itself has to be baked over time. It really takes time. So that's the way I look at it with with Man United. Is that there is no quick fix here with the new with the new ownership, or keep calling it new ownership, twenty five percent or whatever it's going to be. Let's call it structure, like structure, infrastructure, definitely. It's a new structure at Manchester United with a kind of new head of department, you could say. Um, and yeah, you're going to have to work really hard to get all these things right. And it's and it's a think tank process, Scott. Again, that people think that's a quasi thing, think tanks, where you when you sit there and you do just scribble ideas and get it all together. The good thing is, I think with Ineos, is that they already have a pretty good idea about how they would like to run Man United. And they've been formulating that, I would say, for about two years. Like, this has not started last week. You know, this is a process that they're going to carry on with and see through. And they're going to put their money where their mouth is. Look, um, Rob and I understand, and throughout this whole process, um, it's been nearly, it's a year next week on the 22nd since the club was put up for strategic investment yes. not for sale uh, i was never said that it was for sale but that was in, that was intimated for the right offer we know that there were two parties we know there's a gym and we know that there was qatar and we know that that provided quite a split and mm. not everybody has got what they wanted really because i think there's a lot of people that wanted qatar yeah uh, to take over united but what i will say is you might still want that unlimited money, this kind of thing. But if you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Look at all the clubs in the Premier League that are successful. Man City have a structure. Arsenal only became successful after Edu and Mikel Arteta started working together. And there's other people involved in that as well. Liverpool, over the years, Michael Edwards has been linked with this job as well. Um, He was at Liverpool, worked with Klopp. Mm. He's since moved on. But Liverpool have a successful structure. Brighton have a successful structure. Paul Barber, you know, all these, Tony Bloom, like owns the club, but Paul Barber's quite active in it. Aston Villa have a structure. They're well backed. They're doing very well in the league, but they have Unai Emery. They've just mm-hmm. brought in one of the most recognizable sporting directors in world football in Monkey mm-hmm. in the last few months. And they're fifth in the league. You know, you all of this kind of thing. And United are, United are trying to tread water up to this point with mm-hmm. Richard Arnold and John Murter, who, do, it, like, as much as I think John Murter will end up leaving the club, John Murter is not. He's not gone to Seville and built Seville. He's not gone to another. He's not gone to Leipzig and built, helped build Leipzig. He's not gone to Tottenham and signed Son. You know all of these kinds of things. United have been battling against the tide, and all these other clubs that I've just mentioned that I've missed some out as well. Chelsea, look at Chelsea. I know that everyone's um, criticizing Chelsea because they're tenth in the league. That'll probably take some time. But what have Chelsea done? They got two. Sporting directors or mm. technical directors, yeah, two, and this some people have come in and some people have left. But they, what they did first, as well as investing a billion quid in every young player in the world, Chelsea sorted their structure out as well. And while it might take some time to succeed, you'd think that eventually they will get it right, and they'll be in amongst it as well, if not already. So, what I'm trying to say is, even if you were pro Qatar even if you did want the unlimited money, you can just look at this for what it is and what United are trying to do or what Sir Jim Ratcliffe is trying to do here and understand that if they can put United, even with the Glazers, even with the stadium, if they can put a structure in that is comparable to any of those clubs I just mentioned, United should succeed relatively. They, they, not, I'm not saying they're going to win the league every year, but to just be in the mix and doing what Liverpool do, doing what Arsenal do, and being in that conversation eventually they should start to succeed again. If they've got people in there who've been in other places, succeeded in other places, and they have a, a structure and a team that is built to win or to compete. United haven't had that for 10 years. Sorry, I was going on. No, you're not going on. I'll add one more to that mix. Crystal Palace, because it's it's relevant when with Dougie Friedman, and obviously Dougie Friedman's been linked to the, the job at Manchester United as well. We're as director of football. Crystal Palace, people might think is a like damp squib and like not not nothing to talk about. Crystal Palace are a team which have yo-yoed up and down the divisions for years and found it really difficult to find an identity. And then they nearly got there with Patrick Vieira. They played some really nice football and then that all fell apart. They didn't get anywhere. Crystal Palace are now a really stable organization. Why, Scott? because they've got a really good sporting director and they've got a philosophy about recruitment and they've gone and got three or four really good players that in the next year or two or three are going to probably be valued in the 50 to 100 to even more ballpark. That is how you do it. Now, Man United are not doing this to sell players, but this is where you need to have a structure that works. And Man United just do not have that and haven't had that for a long time. Uh, Eric Ten Hag said in presses multiple times that he talks to 
uh, Richard Arnold every day. And I think I said to you, that's probably too much. But the truth is, is that if you're working with someone who's a football guy, you do want to talk to them every every day. You want to run ideas off them. You want to talk about player performances, recruitment, all of that stuff. I think more than anything, Scott, for Eric Ten Hag to be successful at Man United, he needs a director of football. He needs someone to take that weight off him. Eric Ten Hag should not be the director of football. Eric Ten Hag should not be the visionary in the boardroom. His job is to get on the training ground, train the lads and get them playing good football. That's where the balance comes. Anything else you want to add on uh, Sir Alex, Rob? No, I, I do understand why there are some people that have been hesitant and, and people, again, trying to compare the past to the future and say, you know, what does Sir Alex know about the here and now? Um, Sir Alex has always been a really sharp guy in that, in the sense that he does think that he he doesn't know everything. And I think that he will he will lean on Ratcliffe with that and say to Ratcliffe, well, you know, you've probably got some good ideas. I've got some good ideas, but there'll be other people out there who've got better ideas. And your your job is to somehow integrate all of that into one big think tank and to find a way forward for Man United. Because this is what's been going on behind the scenes now. And it's what Ineos have been trying to find out is that they've been doing this kind of root and branch dig into Man United to find out what's going wrong. Now, we can tell you what's going wrong at Man United because we're specialists at it and we've been watching it like hawks for 10 years. But if you're external, Scott, coming in and looking at Man United now, you're probably going straight away, the recruitment's a mess. They don't get any, there's no leadership from upstairs. And yeah, we have to work with the Glazers because they are majority owners, but they actually don't want anything to do with this bit. So we can just say to them, see you later. You bring Fergie in, you can chat, he can be a consultant. Might even go and get another Ralph Ranyak in, Scott, someone like that who understands systems. And then you build like that. And I'm willing to be patient around that, Scott. Like I know a lot of fans aren't. I know a lot of United fans don't want to think of it as a long-term thing. I think you will see results pretty quickly in terms of maybe the how formidable Man United are on a football pitch. We know we're so weak, don't we? But I think that comes from the structure as opposed to just anything tactical. You mentioned a few minutes ago, Rob, about United. We don't want United to sell players. Oh, hmm. I, I don't know what you said. Something along those lines. Currently, they can't sell players. No. I We're not selling club. Like, you're not selling. United are not a selling club. Hmm. But ultimately, like, if you are good at selling, Liverpool are great at selling. Hmm. Liverpool sold Dominic Solanke for twenty odd million quid. Shea Ojo as well for like 15 million quid. Or like players who just are not good enough. You know, the only person I can really remember, you know, getting any significant fee for that wasn't good enough for the first team was Dan James. Yeah. You know, that's it. Yeah. So, you know, I know that they've, they've held out for lots of money for Scott McTominay in the summer and that was criticized, this kind of thing. But ultimately, the sign of a successfully run football club is, is if people or teams want to buy your players off you currently nobody wants to buy any united players like can, totally. I, can you think of any <laughs> no. can you think of any <laughs> no there isn't yeah. any like we said last week about harry Maguire, that, that's the irony of him his good form is that you now might be able to go back to the marketplace at some point you might actually go well no we don't want to sell him in january now like <laughs> we thought we might want to because we're gonna need him until next year and then you might get you know, a higher bid than than what the marketplace was telling you he was worth not so long ago. But you're right, Scott. And, and I think the last time that really happened with Man United was with Ronaldo. Yeah, so that, like, that's you know, how long ago it was. You know, that was Ronaldo. a long time ago. And, and and the whole thing with Ronaldo was that he'd played his way into becoming Ballon d'Or winner, best player on the planet, et cetera, et cetera. 
and he had this marketplace and his marketplace was Real Madrid. So, you know, they paid 80 million for him now. And now if you bring that fast forward to today, say that was today's circumstances with Man United, you'd be talking about Ronaldo for what, 250 million, maybe? Something like that. So I think, again, you don't have to look back too far to see how Fergie and Gill created that culture behind the scenes. And that's almost what, what Ineos will be looking at. They'll be going, right, how do we make the club successful? First thing to do, Scott, is that if you have a good squad and you win things, guess what? Everything just becomes more valuable. That's just the way it goes. You don't even have to win just to compete. Look at Arsenal. You just have to be good, yeah. don't you? You just have to be good. Like, yeah, you think about Arsenal now and all those kids that they've brought through and those younger players and, and how they've gone from 18-year-olds to, let's say, 20-year-olds. Every one of them now has a value of 10 times what it was back then. 10, 15. Saka, probably one of the highest valued players in the world will be now, won't he? Mm. Martinelli, huge value now. You know, Odegaard, you know, went to Real Madrid when he was like 12 or whatever it was. You know, it didn't quite work for him there. And obviously... You know, his, his development was what it was. He's a club captain. He would be worth a fortune now on the Saliba. open market, wouldn't he? Saliba, absolutely. Something that you bought for, for decent money, but you did the right thing with him. You developed him. You sent him on loan 10 times, and then you play him. United have got some players like that, Scott. Manu, Hannibal, I'd say Garnacho is probably the cherry on that kind of cake at the moment. But we need more. We need more structure and more development in that ballpark. That's why you need a director of football. Because that's what they do. You mentioned Monchi there. And, and you know, that's the philosophy from where he's come back from is about developing the kids from the ground up, but then having a structure that doesn't break the bank every single season. Ironically, with Aston Villa, we're seeing their, their purchases in the last year, Scott. All these players that maybe a year ago people didn't rate, now people are looking at them going, that Watkins is pretty tasty isn't he what he does <laughs> you go through the team and people people like you know Douglas Lewis who, who got loads of flack around certain managers not so long ago I think with Steven Gerrard people look at him now going oh he's actually a really good player so that's how you do it and that's really what Man United need to do you don't need to be a selling club Scott but you need to be a winning club and you need to find a way to get there so then at least if you do sell one or two of your players you're getting mad money for it 200 you can reinvest million. Then you reinvest. Do you remember Liverpool sold Coutinho? Like you didn't mention Coutinho. There. That was the making of Liverpool. Coutinho, yeah. Selling Coutinho won them a Champions League and won them a Premier League. That's the truth. That money, they went and bought what they needed and they took that huge leap the following year. And of course, Liverpool fans were upset about losing Coutinho because he was popular. But we saw soon saw, didn't we, at Barcelona... He wasn't actually that great and had mugged them off of that transfer fee. And, you know, I don't know where Coutinho is now. Is he in Saudi or somewhere? He's, he's, I, I think, think he's actually working with Steven Gerrard again, I want to say. Something like that. So, you know, good luck to him. But that's where United need to be now. And, and that's the sign of a successful squad. The sign of a successful squad, Scott, is not buying 30-year-olds and giving them 350 grand a week. That is not the sign. No, no names mentioned. Of smart money. Yeah, look at David De Gea. Like, no offense to David, but like, you know, David De Gea doesn't have another club. <laughs> David's left, and we had a debate for six months about do you keep him, do you not? Is he on 100 grand a week? Is he on 300 grand a week? Do you make it 200 grand a week? He hasn't even got a club, which tells you all you needed to know about what's probably happened in the last year. David De Gea, always a Man United legend forevermore, and I'm sure he's going to end up in La Liga now in, 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 uh, in January. But the truth is, is that we knew all that a long time ago. It's just that United didn't pull the trigger on any of it. So that's what you need to change at the very top. You need people to make decisions and understand why they're making those decisions. Let's just finish today with a quick word on the candidates for the sporting director job. Yes. 
So there's been a bunch of names mentioned out there. We've already touched on them. Lee Congerton from Atalanta. Yeah. Hmm. I think he's used to work at Chelsea and he's yes. been in the Premier League previously. Uh, Andrea Berta from Atletico Madrid. They have a, you know, he's been there for a long time. They've picked up some quality players. Been pretty successful for re- in relativity, Atletico Madrid. I mean, a few Champions League finals. You know, they've picked up some good players. Yeah. They've had some nightmares. Jack Felix, you know, that, 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 that was bad judgment. But I'm not saying he was a bad player, but in terms of the transfer fee they paid, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we've got Paolo Maldini, Ricky Massara, and Dougie Friedman, as we mentioned. Mm. And Paul Mitchell as well, who is uh, in my mind, your mind, most minds, I think the front runner. But uh, what do you make of that list, Rob? And is it as clear cut to you as I think it should be? Really? I think so. Like I, I think the whole thing about the planets aligning for Paul Mitchell at Manchester United, he's already moved back to Manchester. He's a Mancunian. Um, as you st- stated, Scott, he has different allegiances in Manchester to another football club that play in blue, but we don't really mind about that. I, I, I'll just add this one. I, I like You said about Maldini there, and I quite like the Maldini link. I quite liked what he did at AC and what he was trying to do. Um one of the things I would state is that I would want a director of football that's got Premier League experience. Mm. Now, on one hand, you could look at someone like Monchi, who went to Roma and had a really bad time at Roma, went back to Spain. And I remember I did a show all the way back then saying, he's available, man, you know, I should go get Monchi. Go get Monchi. And the big thing people said to me at the time was like, well, he hasn't got Premier League experience. And I understood that. But he's now in the Premier League with Aston Villa and kind of proving he knows a bit about football, how to structure a football club. So that's where United need to be. I think there's a sweet spot here, is that someone like Paul Mitchell, understands the Premier League, has experience at lower end of that with Southampton, at the higher end of that with Tottenham. He's gone abroad and done all his due diligence in his learning. He's been a big part of that Red Bull system before. He's just recently been at Monaco. He's someone that's travelled and has got a wide you know, why he's early, I'm sure he's early 40s as well. And he's, he's very like 42, young. 43 years old. He's, he's someone who's, if he's successful, Scott, he could be at your club for 20, 30 years. Like, yeah. like really could be. And and everybody knows in the game, anyone that works in the game knows that Paul Mitchell is the uber elite of director of footballs. Like when people talk about it, any football club in the world wants to talk about a new director of football, he is always in the conversation. He's someone that people aspire to hire. So I look at that and I know that I said about Red Bull there just a minute ago, you know, Ineos being involved in Formula One as well. They they look at those things and look at the patterns. And I think they would look at someone who's worked for Red Bull quite closely and was successful and would say, yeah, we like this guy. Let's bring him in. And someone like Blanc is already there. So we'll do, we'll do more about Blanc, I think, in the weeks ahead. I think that's going to be really important. But someone like Mitchell, I think, come in. And I think Mitchell fits Ten Hag. That's the way I look at it. I think Mitchell has a similar kind of philosophy and ethos about building from the ground up. Then, Scott, we might actually see a real Eric Ten Hag team. I still think 18 months into this project, we haven't really seen anything like a culture, have we, at the moment? Because we're fighting fires all the time. Mason Greenwood, fight that fire. Here's something else up in Jaden Sancho, fight that fire. Oh, look, you've lost nine games already this season. Fight that fire. I think someone like Paul Mitchell will take the weight of Ten Hag. We should see a better Man United. Also, I'll add this, right? If you're a current critic of Ten Hag, uh, obviously, you know, if you listen to this podcast, I'm I'm 
it, even to a fault, probably not pointing the finger at Ten Hag probably enough. I know Rob's, uh, we've been over this. I've criticised him. <laughs> Rob would probably, uh, Rob would probably more fairly pointed the finger at Ten Hag. My argument is, what's the point picking at the manager before you get your structure f- fixed up? If you're not get their structure fixed up and then they decide in six months that Ten Hag isn't the right guy, fine. Absolutely yeah. fine. Absolutely fine. I've got no issue with that at all. No issue. I'd like him to succeed, but give the manager everything he needs to succeed. And then if he doesn't, it's on the manager. That's and, that's the way that right. I look at it. I think you're right. And that's the process, isn't it? And that's why and that's why we say process takes time and people need to be patient. I think the thing is with Eric Ten Hag is that all he really wants, truthfully, is to have a director of football, a sporting setup, and some consultancy behind the project that allows him to go and do what he wants to do. So I think in the January transfer window, Man United will buy players. It's reported on Sky Sports yesterday, you're going down the route of that Man United haven't got money for transfers. Yes, they have. This is all part of the plan. Man United will go into the transfer market in January. Whether they spend big is a completely different matter, but they will start that ball rolling. Well, necessarily with the manager. need to spend big either. Like absolutely, like you, we've talked about positions, haven't we? So much, and when you get everyone fit, then then you really can dial down on one, two, or maybe three positions. You know, you fix that big one. We're goalkeeper now. We have to wait to see if Anana is the real deal. We hope he is, and I think he's improving, but. You're, you're addressing these things. And that's what the manager wants. The manager only wants someone behind the scenes that does all that stuff for him so he doesn't have to constantly do it himself. I think Man United will go out by a striker in January. I think they'll, they'll, they'll push towards a centre-back. If they don't buy a centre-back in January, Scott, they will absolutely know by January who they're buying in the summer. 100%. That, that will decision will be made. The eggs will be in that basket and they'll be getting on with it. And that player will sign on, you know, July the 1st or whatever it is. So I think that's what you need. And that's what I think Ten Hag craves. I think he just craves some football people around him. So it starts there. And like you said, Scott, if he gets it wrong and the play, team plays badly and you go through that period, guess what happens? He loses his job. And then you go and look at another manager somewhere. You know, you go find someone else. And I'm sure, I'm sure Ineos will already have like 10 managers on their list that they will just watch for the next two or three years and they'll go, we like him. Do you remember like when him. United sacked Mourinho? Hmm. They were like, oh no, what did we do? Ollie, <laughs> used mad. to work here. Do you used to work here? Do you think you could come and take the job for a while while we figure out what the hell we're going to do? And, and then they lucked mad. out because he did quite well. And it's like, let's give you three years, Ollie. Come come and do that for three years, and then things went to pot, and then he he managed to stabilize. But he was never it was never as good as his interim period, was it? Do you never. know what Scott? Now, do you know what Scott? Now you you know you've mentioned that I'm going to tell a story, right? And I don't know if I've ever told this story in camera before. I think I, I might have done, but it's about that period. Um, it so happens that in that time, I remember like, I'd been quite vocally. Um, kind of supportive of Mourinho in the early years, like first year, second year. And then around that period, around maybe three months before he got sacked, I kind of publicly said, I'm done with it. Like the football's not good enough. And I don't care if I liked Mourinho this time. I did like him as a person before. I really did. You know, I liked his, like who he was and and his CV. And, you know, I didn't like a lot of his football, of course. But um, a friend of mine uh, had dinner with... uh, the boss at the time, Ed Woodward, yeah, and directly questioned them and said, right, you've just sacked Mourinho. 
what's happened with why why have you gone to Oligon Solskjaer? This doesn't it doesn't really make a lot of sense of why he did it. And you know, the chief executive at the time was maybe a little bit merry and busy eating his dinner and stuff like that. And he completely admitted to this person. Uh, and I don't, it's not a problem saying it now all these years later, that uh, that he wanted Mauricio Pochettino. They'd gone to Tottenham, he'd asked for them. Tottenham said, you can have them, have him for this price. And United went, <laughs> So he was hoping that Pochettino would be available at the end of the year. What happens? Ole has 20 games, just brilliant. United played brilliant football. It was fun. Ollie's at the wheel. Ollie's at the wheel. All of that stuff. The same person asked the chief exec later on, why did you give Ollie and Solskjaer a job full time? And his job, his answer at that time was because the fans wanted it. So he didn't make the choice. He still wanted Pochettino, but he was like, that's what happened. Ole proved himself to the fans and we just thought, okay. Now, that's why you need football people running your club, not not people like Ed Woodward and not Richard Arnold, because they're populists. They look at stuff and they go, oh, this is exciting. You know, the fans want this, so we've got to do it. No, you sometimes have to do what the fans don't want. Sometimes you have to do what you, you Sometimes have you to have do. to sell Coutinho. Exactly. <laughs> sometimes you have to sell Coutinho. Now, Ole, now, we were all high on Ole at that point because we were seeing some good stuff. But Ole probably shouldn't have got that job or that chance originally. Like, you know, he becomes... like I liked Ole because he was from Fergie's school of learning. Like, he was back there and he was part of that boot room, that you could call it. So that's the story from now. I honestly don't know if I've told that story publicly before. But the chief exec wanted... Pochettino and really doubled down on it like really was just like well I'm just kind of doing what what fans want here because do you know what you should have done Scott I think it was 12 million for Pochettino should have paid 12 million for Pochettino that's what you should have done so if they just Tottenham wanted 12 million rather than going getting your your guy you could have waited to the end of the season paid Tottenham the 12 million and then said to Ole goodbye thanks for the good work you've done for six months and the club's better and you know well done mate they did it again, didn't they, with Ranić? Did exactly the same thing. Brought Ranić in. This guy's really good. Ranić told them they were really bad. Oh, we better get this guy at the football club. Football people. You need football people. I think the point of this podcast has been that you might not be too excited, really. You might have wanted no. Qatar. You might want hundreds of millions of quid to be spent. It's not always the answer. If you put people in who know what the hell they're doing or have proven elsewhere that they know what they're doing. Pretty good start. So yes. I think if you look at like the way that this could go over the next few months, the way that we think it might go, just might be a little bit of time. I'm not saying be optimistic and be lose your mind, but it might be a start to bring in United back. It might take some time to actually succeed as well. But as long as you know you're moving in the right direction, makes things a hell of a lot easier to to get on board with and to sit through bad defeats and this kind of thing and to digest. So I think that's my that's my thing. We'll wrap up in a minute, but Rob, final thoughts. Don't get too high, don't get too low about Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos. Like there are a lot of things I think in the weeks and months ahead when this, this all happens, and we will talk about Ineos's uh, greenwashing and stuff like that. That's relevant to Man United. So we will talk about that in the weeks ahead. But as we stand today... As I say, don't get too high, don't get too low, wait and see. I'm not excited. Like, I'm not sat here going woohoo, but there is a 
for me, a cautious optimism. Like I look at this and I'm thinking, right, I think that this is a better structure than what we have had. And for me, do the hard miles because it is going to take a long time. There's no way that you can solve it with one manager or one decision and all that. You're going to have to make 50 decisions here, Scott, to get yourself anywhere near a kind of viable football club. And like you said, I think it's about Man United being in a conversation to win the biggest trophies again. That's the first place you've got to go. We're not there, are we? Like We would love to be there. And this year, we'll be about fighting for top four and getting back in the Champions League. We say we're not out of it just yet. But, you know, might even be in the Europa League in the not-so-distant future. But I think the thing for Ratcliffe is that he understands that he's going to have to put all this infrastructure in place. I think that's positive. We'll wrap it there. Uh, we were aiming for 38 minutes. Rob thinks the 38 minutes is the sweet spot. We're, we're at just spot. past 50. Sorry, but hopefully you like it and you have uh, stuck with us. That's the home through run. To, through minutes. the 50th minute of the, of the, of the game. Uh, but yeah, we'll be back next week. We've got plenty to talk about. So there's plenty, plenty left to uh, talk about. John LeBlanc, bit on Mitchell, any official announcements that we get whenever they come uh Potential new structures, this kind of thing. Keep an eye on nightman.com uh, and the Twitters for the Promise Land at the Promise Land at, at Promise and MU at double underscore Scott Saunders on X, IG and TikTok and at underscore Rob underscore B on X and YouTube. And subscribe wherever you get your podcast to the show and watch us on YouTube as well. The Promise Land and Manchester Night podcast. Like, subscribe, hit the comment keys uh, leave a comment for us get in touch with us on social media and hit the notification bell on youtube as well so you don't miss a show and until next week we'll be back then international break but at least there's some stuff going on around united that's remotely interesting so uh we we've got plenty to talk about rob but uh rob thanks for today until next time thanks for listening or watching everyone see you soon and in enjoy your weekend i can't believe i got all the way to the end and tripped over my words. Uh, enjoy your weekend, and we'll see you soon, everyone. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. See you soon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.